Guys, you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 10. <clears throat> John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, I know some of our guys are in the back and they have some extras, so they'll be passing those out uh, for you. Just ask them for one and they'd be happy to give you uh, what you need. John chapter 10. Uh, coming off a camp where we discussed and talked so much about looking to Jesus, um, I think it's only right that we come back and look to him directly. And so we're going to see him here, John 10, verses 11 through 18, in one of the great I Am statements of the Bible, uh, that of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. So we're going to look at John 10, 11 through 18 this morning. And let me read it for us. <clears throat> the Word of God reads, and Jesus is speaking, I am the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that aren't of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father Loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Pray with me as we enter into this time in God's Word. Father, we thank you for. Your truth, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for our shepherd. We thank you that our king is also the very one who cares for us and loves us and tends to our needs. He uh, resolves to be there in our burdens. He resolves to comfort us when we're wounded. He resolves to help us when we need it. He resolves to rejoice with us as we rejoice. He is a savior who knows us and loves us and therefore he cares for us all of our days. Thank you that, Jesus, you are this way. Thank you that we get to serve and worship a God who not only has made himself known, but has done so in a way that expresses his kindness and goodness toward us in the person and work of Jesus. Help us to behold him this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of your life, everyone will know you for something. At the end of your life, everyone will know you for something. Uh, you'll be in a grave. You'll have a tombstone. And on that tombstone, as you've probably seen over and over and over, everyone likes to put something on there, something of notice, something of importance, something of significance, something by which everyone can remember them by. And I 
take note of this because I want to point you back to a certain group of people who I think did this right. It would have been early Christians in what was the early church of Rome. Uh, Back in the first and second century, I don't know if you know this, but Christianity was not quite what it's like today. Uh, You know, someone uh, commenting on your Bible verse and making you feel bad was not necessarily how those Christians were persecuted. It was being thrown into lion's dens or being forced to fight as gladiators or being run out of town and having nowhere to sleep and place their head at night. Christians had a rough life, and one of the ways in which the Roman rulers of the early church age forced and pressed their, their reign upon and tried to uh, wipe out Christianity was even by desecrating the way that they buried their dead. Uh, Christians had no place in the town to do this, and this is where we get what we would know as the Roman catacombs. These were graveyards outside the city limits where Christians were forced to lay their loved ones to rest. And it was in these catacombs that one historian, Philip Schaff, notices that the very image that most of these graveyards have on them is one of the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the image most often seen on the tombstone, on the gravesite of the early Christian church as they were kicked out of town, not only in the way they were treated in life, but even in the way that these Christians were treated in death. The image that so prominently made its way forward for these early Christians was that of the good shepherd. The reason would be this, Philip Schaff writes, This symbol almost disappeared after the 4th century, but to the mind of the early Christians, it vividly expressed in childlike simplicity what is essential to Christians of all creeds. The idea of Christ and his salvation as the daily comfort in life and in death. The shepherds suggested the recovery of the lost sheep and the tender care and protection, the green pasture and fresh fountain, the sacrifice of life. In a word, the whole picture of a Savior. The good shepherd, in a word, is a whole picture of a Savior. Understanding the good shepherd Understanding this passage that is before us this morning, it matters why? Because we don't want to get Jesus right in part. We want to get Jesus right in whole. We don't want to assume about Jesus or know Jesus only partially. We want to know Jesus fully. And this is one of the seven I am statements in the book of John. It essentially means this. It's one of those seven ways in which Jesus says, this is me. This is fully who I am. And what's to note about this one is it's at the very middle of those seven I am statements. There's three that come before and three that come after it, and it isn't by accident. In some way, it's for us to note that this is the culminating I am statement of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is a good shepherd. And that should change the way that some of you think of him. It should affect the way that some of you relate to him. Some of you, maybe if you're on Team Monopoly, you relate to Jesus as a get out of jail free card. That's not Jesus. Jesus isn't simply some kind of escape from something bad. 
Jesus' access to something that's good. And that access to good, it isn't simply that one day you're going to go to heaven. Guys, I want to go to heaven too. I'm longing for that day. I can't wait for that day where we're perfected and finally and fully restored with God. But Jesus is even more than that. What we see in the image of the good shepherd is that Jesus is our rescue from hell. He is our access to heaven. And he is the one that cares for us every minute in between. Jesus loves us enough to save us. He loves us enough to bring us home with him eternally. And he loves us enough to care for us in the present. You have a present, caring, loving Jesus. And my question would be, do you know him? Some of you are content with Jesus simply being an escape route. He's the way out and that's good enough for me. Some of you are content with being saved from hell, but you're not treasuring Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your shepherd. John Owen says it this way, many will say with confidence that they desire to be with Christ and behold his, behold his glory. But when asked, they can give no reason for this desire except that it would be better than going to hell. Jesus offers you so much more than that, guys. Jesus wants you to know that as your Savior, He also desires to be your friend. He desires to be your lifelong partner. He desires to be the one that's there for you when you're burdened or when you're troubled, when you're saddened or when you're angry, when you feel hopeless and you feel lost, when you feel like life is caving in, when you feel like nothing's going your way, when you feel like you just can't fix anything or any of the problems that are going on around you. Jesus wants you to know that he is there for you. Oftentimes with you, and guys, honestly, oftentimes in spite of you, oftentimes in spite of me, that as sheep do to a shepherd, they get lost and they go their own way and they oftentimes do dumb things, but he is the good shepherd, the one who will care for you and has shown so in the fact that he's given his life not only to grant you eternity, but in the present to be with you and to love you, to guide you, and to lead you. That's who he is. The early church understood that. But it isn't just for them to understand. It's for all of us to understand. It's for all of us to treasure. May Jesus be your delight, yes, because he saves, but also because he cares. That's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus is going to remind us of this in three key ways through this text. This quick parable of this good shepherd, it reminds us of him and his care for us, his love for us. And we're going to see it in these ways. One, we're going to look at the person, the shepherd as a person. Number two, the purpose. What is the purpose of this shepherd? And number three, his power. By what power does this shepherd work? Those are the three ways we're going to see that this morning. The person, his purpose, and his power. Now, as we dive into the the good shepherd, we realize, right, in John chapter 10, means we've missed 
nine chapters, and this is also leading somewhere, so we're missing a lot that's coming up. And so where exactly are we? How did we get here? And why would Jesus say this? And why would it have any effect on the people listening to him? Well, to do so, I think it'd be helpful for us to understand uh, this isn't the first time that God has talked about or described himself as a shepherd. God throughout the Old Testament has talked about himself in this way. We could turn to Genesis 48.15 where Joseph is being blessed. And here we hear these words, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. This is the way the Bible talks about God. And when Jesus steps into the scene and describes himself as a shepherd, he's doing so in light of the reality that the people of God have been led astray by many bad shepherds. Many religious people, many people who say they know God and say they love God have led God's people away from him. They've led them into rules and commandments that have nothing to do with the heart of what God wants. They've led them into practices and rituals that have nothing to do with what God wants. These shepherds that have stepped up in the land of Israel, they've led the people in their own selfish desires. And God has to do something about it. God is not okay with people turning away from him. God desires for each and every single human being to turn to him in worship, both in spirit and in truth. And so God does something about it. God does something about it so powerfully. And it's something that's foreseen by the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. If you were to turn here in verses 23 and 24. After God's people have been led astray for so long, the prophets promise us this. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. God promises a shepherd. And if you're listening rightly to the words of Ezekiel, God promises himself as the shepherd. Friends, and then we turn to John 10. Jesus is walking the earth and Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. This is the promise fulfilled. This is the hope of all humanity. This is the hope of every creature who has ever existed in objection to God's sovereign rule and reign. The God of the universe who made us to be in relationship with him. Each and every single one of us has sinned against him. Each and every single one of us has gone against his will and his purposes. And God says, I will do something about it. And here he does. He sends Jesus. I am the good shepherd. How do we know that this is him? Well, let's look at him. Let's look at this shepherd. Let's see and behold the person that he is. I am the good shepherd. In that we have almost everything we need. First and foremost, we see that Jesus uses these words, I am. 
And if you're wondering warehouse, you may have heard that before. You just remember, go back to Awana days or Adventure Club, whatever it was back when you were young. And, and, and you remember that burning bush scene, right? Where God steps into the, the bush and God is speaking to Moses in that bush. And how does he, I almost said, how does he identify himself? That would have been weird. How, how, how does he make himself known? What is his name? What is God's name? I am. Well, and when they ask who sent you, just say, I am. Jesus is using the same language here. I am. It's a, it's a Greek way of putting that same uh, sentence together. It's a, it's a way of denoting that Jesus is declaring, I am equal with God. And how do I demonstrate that? Why well, demonstrate that by being the good shepherd? Jesus is the one we've longed for. He declares his godness. And he demonstrates that he is the one that God has promised by being this good shepherd. That word good is not hard to understand, right? It's something that's excellent, noble, beautiful, precious. It's supreme. It's superior to all things. It's a number two at Chick-fil-A. No pickles. Polynesian sauce. It's excellent in everything that it is. By nature, by definition, it's good. That's who Jesus is as a shepherd. And now, how does he prove that, right? Because you can say something's good, but we all need to see it. Like, we all need to agree that it's good. That's why when I say number two with no pickles, you guys go, uh, maybe number one. Or some of you are like, uh, maybe in and out. Well, you're wrong. But We can't come to a consensus, right? How do we come to a consensus that Jesus is the good shepherd? He's God. He steps down to be our shepherd. And what does he do for us? How does he prove it? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is describing himself while looking forward the entire time to the cross. Jesus is assessing the scene and understanding his mission rightly and telling and declaring to everyone in his presence, I am this good shepherd. Why? Because I will give my very life for you. When you're in harm's way, as sin has put you in, when you're in harm's way, as you have put yourself in, what does Jesus do as the good shepherd? He rescues you, yes, but he does so at the cost of his own life. That's the epitome of what a good shepherd would be. And Jesus goes on to demonstrate to us this reality and the beauty of what this shepherd is like by creating a contrast. He creates a contrast. He creates these two different images of what a shepherd could be like. One is called a hired hand, and the other is a good shepherd. And he, he highlights both of them to show you just exactly what his heart is like. Look at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. We have these two different images that Jesus presents for us, right? It's a hired hand and it's a shepherd. The the higher hand is characterized by this. Number one, he's not a shepherd. It's not his day job. He got brought in to do something that no one else could do. And in this time, a shepherd was someone who was within the family. And you didn't just have a shepherd in your own home. Different homes that existed in the community, they would agree upon who would shepherd the flocks for all of them. And if you didn't have someone, then you would go find someone, kind of like a third party. And you would tell them, come in, we'll pay you to take care of these sheep. Well, when you pay someone who doesn't take care of sheep to take care of sheep, what do you think is going to happen? All kinds of bad stuff. The sheep are going to get lost. The sheep are going to get hurt, and no one's taking care of them. I mean, this guy might even set up a, a, a little pit and start roasting one up. You never know. He's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. He does casual labor. He's a transient worker. He doesn't take any special interest in this job. As soon as his pay is in his pockets, he's gone. He doesn't care. The the less he can work, the better. So long as he gets a paycheck at the end of the day. Such were all the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They led God's people, but only because it gave them a good name in society. Only because it fed their families. Only because it made them rich. Only because it made them famous. Only because it gave them the appearance of truly knowing God. They, sure, they led God's people, but for all the wrong reasons. And what that kind of person does is when the sheep have problems, they run away. And they leave them to themselves. They're phony shepherds. They have no relationship with the sheep. They don't care about sheep. Even in the face of danger, this this hireling would rather spare himself than protect the fold. Jesus says, I am not that way. Jesus says, I am not like a hired hand. I am a true shepherd. I know all of those who belong in my family. The ultimate measure of a good shepherd would be this, that he knows the sheep, right? And what's interesting, in this time, a shepherd actually genuinely knew his sheep by name. Rocky, big boy. I don't know. I don't got any more names. I'm done. I'm still, trust me, camp is not done in my brain. I'm trying to get there, guys. They had names for their sheep, and they called them by name, and those sheep knew them. They had an an actual affection and relationship for them. They could even tell them apart. That one has spots, and and I know that Larry doesn't. Larry would be a great sheep name, by the way. That just came to me. It took me a while, but it finally arrived, and Larry would be an awesome sheep name. So just letting you know, when you grow old and you have a family, you're looking for a dog, say, nope, I'm getting a sheep, and I'm naming him Larry. They knew them. They knew, they knew exactly how they were different from each other. They knew which ones needed care, which were healing, which were, needed, were malnourished, which needed to drink water. They understood the sheep well. That's a good shepherd. And that's who Jesus equates himself with being. 
Just as he says it for us here in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. And he not only says that he knows the sheep well, he says that the way that he knows the sheep is on par with the way that he knows the father. Jesus, the eternal son of God, says that he knows his people as well as he knows his father. Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's a relationship in which nothing can come in and undo what has been, what has been brought together there, right? There, there is such love and affection that Jesus is the kind of shepherd that once he has placed his affection on you, once he is for you, he will never let you go. He will never forget your name. He, he will never forget what's going on in your life. He understands that your parents are struggling. He understands that you guys are enduring some really hard financial times. He understands that school is hard. He understands that you want to be popular. He understands that you, you have big dreams for your life. He understands that you're going through heartache. He knows you and he loves you. And the beautiful thing is that the sheep always know him. This is who he is. This is how great he is. A shepherd who is that good, the sheep never forget him. How much more for a God as good as the one that we serve, would we forget him? Guys, it's like this. After service today, I'm going to head up and I got kids to pick up, right? I got to go and get three little ones. One of them is Nemo, which is always fun because my favorite joke is that after service, I'm Finding Nemo, yeah. So I got to go pick that guy up. He's my guy. I know you might not believe it because he's a redhead, but that's mine. He's mine. And, hey, makes the point even better. The guy doesn't quite look like me because he's got red hair. He looks very Irish. I don't know what happened. But he's mine. And you know how you're going to know? I'm going to walk into that room later, and I don't have to say a word. He's just going to look at me. He's going to get up, and he's going to go, Dada. And I'll tell you what, if you walked in, he ain't doing that for you. Because if you walked in to pick him up, he's going to think you're weird. He doesn't think that about me because he knows me and I know him. And so as soon as I walk in, he's itching to get out. And the first thing we'll do is we'll hug. I'll ask him how he did. He'll say good. He'll say cars. And then we'll leave. We know each other. We have a relationship that's built upon love. And for him especially, it's built upon me caring for him day in and day out. Because if it was up to him, he might not even be here anymore. He needs help. And he knows that. How much more for you and I who know Jesus and what's more, know a Jesus who has fully committed to knowing us. He's not in it for any other reason other than the fact that in his nature is love. In his nature is kindness. In his nature is compassion. And so he knows us and he loves us and he cares for us. This is Jesus. You're not in any place of life that Jesus doesn't want you to be in.
And you're not in any place of life that Jesus doesn't care about. Guys, you are exactly where you need to be, but will you hold on to Jesus? Knowing that Jesus loves and cares for you more than any father ever could for their child, more than any earthly shepherd could for their sheep. He cares for you like a God of the universe, though he didn't have to do anything, chose to save his people. And once he's fixed their love on them, he never lets them go. Do you know that Jesus? Because you'll need that Jesus for a lifetime. Now, how do we know that this Jesus works in this way? The Jesus that loves us, how do we understand to what purpose he's doing this? And how do we understand that his care and his affection, his love, is with us and for us to our final breath? Well, we know this secondly by looking at the purpose of this shepherd, his purpose. And let's see this here quickly in verse 16. Jesus is a loving, compassionate, merciful Jesus. He's in it to care for his own. A huge way he does this, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Reminded of our context here, we have the Jews and the Pharisees who have been leading God's people astray. And all that's done is it's scattered God's people far and wide. God's people are utterly confused. And what Jesus does is not only does he care for the individual sheep, but Jesus is looking to bring God's people together again. This is also a long-awaited promise of Israel. It's a long-awaited promise of God's people. Isaiah 56, 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Ezekiel 34, 11, behold, I myself will search out my sheep and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. What Jesus is doing here is twofold. One, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. What happened in Israel is that Israel thought their God was only to be their God and no one else's God. God is too big for that. God is too big to be just for one person or for one people group. God is for everyone. And so in this, what Jesus is doing is reminding us, I can take care of more than one person. Trust me, I struggle with three kids. God is not like that. God can take care of an infinite amount of people, much more than just the nation Israel. And so here what we see is an invitation that God is making. He's saying, through this good shepherd, I will bring more sheep in, sheep that are not even of Israel's fold. Israel's been so concerned with preserving its own thing that they've forgotten what God has been doing all along. It's an invitation. It's also for us an opportunity to recognize how it is that you and I are going to experience God's care and God's provision and God's love throughout our lives. No one in here is called 
to be some kind of Christian in isolation. No one in here is called to be some kind of Lone Ranger Christian. If you think that you've got you and your Bible and you can go sit up in an ivory tower and just wait till Jesus comes back, you've missed the whole point. Jesus saves you for himself and unto his people. And so what we're doing now, the reason that we gather like this on Sunday mornings, the the reason that soon we'll gather again in our Bible studies and you'll meet in your small groups is because every opportunity that we have to be together is a reminder that we have a good shepherd. When we do this, it's not so that you can simply hear me preach. It's not so that you can come on a Sunday morning and hear John MacArthur preach. It's so that together we can fix our gaze back on the one who matters most. We are here, gathered together, so that we could look toward Jesus as one flock with one shepherd. What Jesus has done as the good shepherd is he's opened the doors of heaven far and wide and said, anyone who wills to come in, let them come. And when you do, you will find a people not consumed with themselves, not consumed with how good they look, not consumed with how put together they are, not consumed with who's watching or appreciating them, not consumed with where they can get in life, but consumed with the shepherd, the one who leads them and guides them, cares for them, loves them, and knows them. Friends, that's what Christianity is all about. It's not just simply about God saving you. It's about God working in his people as all of them look to him. That's his purpose. God cares for us and knows us. And what a, what a beautiful truth that God knows us all intimately and individually. And yet his concern is that together we would continue to look to him. Jesus' ministry assures us that what we're doing here works. It assures us that as you stay close to God's people, you draw nearer to him. Isolate yourself from this. It is much harder to see your shepherd. If you think you don't need the church, you don't need 180, you don't need your Bible study, you don't need your small group, hey, that's okay, that's up to you. But I will assure you and guarantee you this, it will be much harder for you to know God, love God, and stay close to God all on your own. Because Jesus died for you and the rest of us. And he wants us together to behold him and grow in him. That's all Jesus is trying to point us to here. Jesus is pointing to us the reality that we all need him and we need him together. That he has opened up the invitation of his mercy far and wide. And he's done so so that together we can focus on him. You ever been a part of a band? I mean, I have. I'm sure trumpet guy at Regen has. I played the saxophone for a long time. And if you've ever been a part of one of those concerts or been there or dropped your cousin off or your sister and you notice they start all playing at the same time, it's horrible, right? 
Like everyone's in a different key, everyone's in a different tune. This guy's playing jazz, that guy's trying to play levitating. Like, and this guy, he just picked the flute up last week. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's a mess, right? Just takes a quick band conductor to come in and go. They don't actually do that. That was, they do that in Puerto Rico, but just takes a band conductor to come in and get everyone on the same page, right? As soon as that person shows up, as soon as that person comes in and understands and gives a clear vision as to what needs to be done and how it needs to be done and helps everyone come onto the same page, we have good music. The same is true for us in the church. The same is true for you as you behold Jesus and follow your shepherd. Don't do so in isolation. Don't be out of sync Don't go against the grain from what Jesus is doing. All of us are better off as together we look to Christ. Thirdly here, if Jesus cares for us and loves us, and Jesus cares for us and loves us so much that he has even brought us together to be a part of what God is doing amidst his people so that we don't have to go this life alone, but we can walk through this life with others who also are trusting in God's kindness and love. How does he get to do that? Who's given him the right to do that? Under what authority does Jesus do that? That's a lot being promised. How is Jesus going to deliver on it is the question. Jesus answers it for us in this way. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Jesus being the good shepherd that he is, the one who would lay his life down so that you don't have to wander this earth alone and lost and hopeless the Jesus that would give his life so that you could have brothers and sisters to walk through this life with as a reminder of his care and provision for you. That Jesus, he didn't do all of that for you because anyone made him to. And perhaps we could even put it this way. Jesus didn't even just do that because you're a sinner. Jesus did that because Jesus is Jesus. Jesus does that because he is who he is. Jesus is committed to doing all that because all of life is in his hands. Because all authority, everything that you've ever seen that is made, it began with him. It began with the one who has no beginning. It began with the one who was God, is God, and forever will be God. It began with him who is the word and the word that was with God and is God. It began, it began with him who has eternally existed and will eternally exist, Jesus. 
Everything is in his hands. He holds authority over all things. And so when Jesus commits to being your shepherd, and when Jesus commits to laying his life down for you, and Jesus commits to taking it back up again, the guarantee that you have of all of that being true is bound up in Jesus. It's bound up in the reality that Jesus does this because he says so. Jesus does this because only he could do this. Jesus didn't endure wounds on his back or thorns on his head or the beating upon his face or nails upon his hands or feet or that final agonizing breath on the cross without first conceding to do so. Jesus endured the full wrath of God because he desired to. That was the only way possible for you and I to understand fully his love and to experience it. And Jesus did that out of his own will. Jesus did that because he wanted to. What a beautiful thing when our needs are matched by someone else's desire, right? I might need 20 bucks. None of you wants to give me 20 bucks. Maybe one of you does, and then you can meet me after service. I'd love to meet you. If I need 20 bucks, I need someone to want to give me 20 bucks, right? If I need a plate of food, I would hope that someone would want to give me a plate of food. That you need to be saved is one thing. But if no one wanted to save you, we would be hopeless. And friends, what we have in Jesus is a wanting Savior. One who looks upon our need. And that's not the reason that he gets up and does it. He does it because that's who he is. He is a Savior. And he has all authority, not only simply over your life, but over his own. And so he can commit out of his own will to give his life and to raise it back up because he is God, very God, who did not count that as something that needed to be grasped at or something he needed to hold on to. He emptied himself of all of that so that as a servant, he would obey God, give his life for us so that we could see the love of God displayed in the shepherd that he is. That's who Jesus is. This is his heart. It's that being, that all authoritative Jesus, what he does with his authority is he gives his life for us. No other king, no other ruler, no other person in power would ever do that. Only Jesus. He does so out of his own will. He does so out of his own volition. He had the power to give his life over for death and he had the power to raise himself back up. And he did that, why? Because he's a good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the good shepherd not only because of his great character and his expressed concern for us, but also because he had authority over his own life and death and resurrection. Jesus knew what to do, and he did it. Jesus wanted to do it, and he did it. And my desire for you in this, guys, is simply this. 
I want you to recognize that we're not trying to convince you about Jesus just for high school. You're going to need Jesus for life. And if you don't cultivate a relationship with him now in a way that mimics this relationship of that good shepherd with his sheep, then you're not understanding what he offers. He's not just providing a means of escape or a route into heaven. He's providing you with a relationship for all of your life. Do you have that and do you know that? I pray that you do. I pray that you would give your life to Jesus in a way where not only do you understand what he offers you eternally, but you recognize the relationship he offers you now. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Thank you for Jesus, our good shepherd. Thank you that our king is also our friend. And we see this because greater love has no one than this, but that someone, anyone, would lay down their life for their friends. Our shepherd is our friend. Thank you for his love. Help us to love one another in this way and help us to see Jesus for who he is. He is the reason that hell is no longer our truth. He is reason that heaven is our hope. And he is the reason that today we know we have a friend in him. He's the reason we have every motivation today to live for you. He's the reason that nothing that comes our way in this life, trials or troubles or tribulation, none of it compares to having a friend in Jesus. And so we thank you, God. You have made it possible by sending us your son, Jesus, our shepherd. In his name we pray, amen.